The Law School of America. In contract law, an illusory promise is one that courts will not enforce. This is in contrast with a contract, which is a promise that courts will enforce. A promise may be illusory for a number of reasons. In common law countries this usually results from failure or lack of consideration, see also consideration under English law. Illusory promises are so named because they merely hold the illusion of contract. For example, a promise of the form, I will give you $10 if I feel like it, is purely illusory and will not be enforced as a contract. It is a general principle of contract law that courts should err on the side of enforcing contracts. Parties entering into the arrangement presumably had the intention of forming an enforceable contract, and so courts generally attempt to follow this intention. A promise conditioned upon an event within the promiser's control is not illusory if the promiser also impliedly promises to make reasonable effort to bring the event about or to use good faith and honest judgment in determining whether or not it has in fact occurred. Methods of finding potentially illusory contracts enforceable include Implied in-law good faith terms Implied in fact terms Bargaining for a chance Implied in-law good faith terms Many contracts include satisfaction clauses, in which a promiser can refuse to pay if he isn't subjectively satisfied with the promisee's performance. Strictly speaking, this is an illusory promise, since the promiser has no actual legal burden to pay if he chooses not to. However, courts will generally imply in law that the promiser must act in good faith and reject the deal only if he is genuinely dissatisfied. As another example, if a contract promises a promisee a certain percentage of the proceeds of a promiser's business activities, this is illusory, since the promiser doesn't have to do anything, any percentage of zero is zero. However, courts may find that the promiser made an implied promise to use reasonable efforts to try to make money, and cite him for breach of contract if he does absolutely nothing. The UCC. In contracts exclusive to both sides requires best efforts in such contracts. This may be read to be the same as a good-faith effort, but is seen by some courts as a higher duty. Implied in fact terms. Judges will often infer terms into the contract that the parties did not explicitly cite. For instance, in the satisfaction clause case, judges might infer that the parties intended a reasonableness test, that the clause could be satisfied if a reasonable person would be satisfied by the promisee's performance, regardless of whether the promiser himself asserts he is satisfied. This interpretation is often used in cases in which a performance can be objectively evaluated, such as with the construction of a warehouse. The implied in-law interpretation above is preferred where satisfaction is more subjective, as with the painting of a portrait. Bargaining for a chance. Many judges would consider the bargaining for a percentage of the proceeds example above an enforceable contract, even without an implied in fact or implied in-law good faith term. They would view the opportunity to enter into a business relationship to itself be acceptable consideration. Put differently, the mere possibility that the promiser would do business is a valuable product of the bargain even if he does not do anything. Of course, if the promiser entered into the relationship purely with the intent of fraudulently harming the promisee, he could be cited for fraud or bad faith principles that apply to all contracts. Changes to a contract without notification. The terms and conditions of some websites and software applications may be deemed an illusory contract and unenforceable if the language can be changed at any time by the company without notifying users and giving them a chance to accept the new changes. In Douglas v. U.S. District Court X Rel Talk America, the court found a telephone service provider could not change the terms of its service contract by merely posting a revised contract on its website because an offeree cannot assent to an offer unless he knows of its existence. 
References The statute of frauds is the requirement that certain kinds of contracts be memorialized in writing, signed by the party to be charged, with sufficient content to evidence the contract. Terminology The term statute of frauds comes from an act of the Parliament of England passed in 1677, authored by Lord Nottingham assisted by Sir Matthew Hale, Sir Francis North, and Sir Leland Jenkins. And passed by the Cavalier Parliament, the title of which is an act for prevention of frauds and perjuries. Many common law jurisdictions have made similar statutory provisions, while a number of civil law jurisdictions have equivalent legislation incorporated into their civil codes. The original English statute itself may still be in effect in a number of Canadian provinces, depending on the constitutional or reception statute of English law, and any subsequent legislative developments. Application The statute of frauds typically requires a signed writing in the following circumstances. Contracts in consideration of marriage. This provision covers prenuptial agreements. Contracts that cannot be performed within one year. However, contracts of indefinite duration do not fall under the statute of frauds regardless of how long the performance actually takes. Contracts for the transfer of an interest in land. This applies not only to a contract to sell land but also to any other contract in which land or an interest in it is disposed, such as the grant of a mortgage or an easement. Contracts by the executor of a will to pay a debt of the estate with his own money. Contracts for the sale of goods totaling $500 or more. Contracts in which one party becomes a surety, acts as guarantor, for another party's debt or other obligation. In an action for specific performance of a contract to convey land, the agreement must be in writing to satisfy the statute of frauds. The statute is satisfied if the contract to convey is evidenced by a writing or writings containing the essential terms of a purchase and sale agreement and signed by the party against whom the contract is to be enforced. If there is no written agreement, a court of equity can specifically enforce an oral agreement to convey only if the part performance doctrine is satisfied. In most jurisdictions, part performance is proven when the purchaser pays the purchase price, has possession of the land, and makes improvements on the land, all with the permission of the seller. No jurisdiction is satisfied by payment of the purchase price alone. Under common law, the statute of frauds also applies to contract modifications. For example, in an oral agreement for the lease of a car for nine months, immediately after taking possession, the lessor then decides that he really likes the car and makes an oral offer to the lessee to extend the term of the lease by an additional six months. Although neither agreement alone comes under the statute of frauds, the oral extension modifies the original contract to make it a 15-month lease, nine months plus the additional six, thereby bringing it under the statute as the contract now exceeds 12 months in duration. In theory, the same principle works in reverse as well, such that an agreement to reduce a lease from 15 months to 9 months would not require a writing. However, many jurisdictions have enacted statutes that require a writing for such situations. Raising the defense. A defendant in a contract case who wants to use the statute of frauds as a defense must raise it as an affirmative defense in a timely manner. The burden of proving that a written contract exists comes into play only when a statute of frauds defense is raised by the defendant. Exceptions An agreement may be enforced even if it does not comply with the statute of frauds in the following situations. A statute of frauds defense may also be affected by a showing of part performance by proving the existence of one of two different conditions. If the parties have taken action in reliance on the agreement, as in the case Riley v. Capital Airlines Incorporated, the court held that part performance does not take an executory portion of a contract out of the statute of frauds.
Each performance constitutes a contract that falls outside the statute of frauds and was enforceable to the extent it is executed. However, the unexecuted portion of the contract falls within the statute of frauds and is unenforceable. As a result, only the executed portion of the contract can be recovered, and the doctrine of part performance does not remove the contract from the statute. On the other hand, the court, in Schweiz v. Roman, held that partial performance and grounds for estoppel can make the contract effective. Promissory estoppel can be applied in many but not all jurisdictions when the charging party detrimentally relies on the otherwise unenforceable contract. In England and Wales, the circumstances where promissory estoppel may be used to overcome the statute are limited, and some jurisdictions deny this possibility altogether. The main purpose rule as it relates to guarantee or suretyship type contracts, where the promisor's promise to answer for the debt of another is made mainly for the promisor's own economic advantage, then it is a primary promise, and enforceable even without a writing. Easements by implication, easements, which are agreements that permit the use of real estate by someone who has no property interest in the land, may be created by operation of law rather than by written instrument. This may happen where, for example, a piece of land is partitioned between owners and pre-existing utilities routes or access paths that would otherwise be trespassery over one of the plots is reasonably necessary for enjoyment of the other plot. In such a case, the pre-existing use must be apparent and continuous at the time of the partition for an easement to be created by implication. The implied easement constitutes an interest in land that does not require a writing to be enforceable. United States In the United States, for contracts for the sale of goods that fall under the Uniform Commercial Code, additional exceptions may apply. Admission of the existence of a contract by the defendant under oath However, the contract would only exist for the quantity of goods that were admitted. For instance, if the contract was for 100 televisions but the seller admitted in court that it was for 70 televisions, then the contract would exist only for 70 televisions and not the original 100. Merchant Confirmation Rule If one merchant sends a writing sufficient to satisfy the statute of frauds to another merchant and the receiving merchant has reason to know of the contents of the sent confirmation, and does not object to the confirmation within 10 days, the confirmation is good to satisfy the statute as to both parties, even if the confirmation was not signed by the party to be charged. The goods were specially manufactured for the buyer and the seller either one, began manufacturing them or two, entered into a third-party contract for their manufacture, and the manufacturer cannot without undue burden sell the goods to another person in the seller's ordinary course of business, for example, t-shirts with a Little League baseball team logo or wall-to-wall carpeting for an odd-sized room. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America